Hello and welcome back to the Men You're Not Alone podcast. This is episode 86 and I have uh, Lloyd Braun back with me and I've decided to split this into two episodes and the first one was kind of an introduction. The second one, I want to dig a little deeper and with Lloyd's experience in law as a law enforcement officer for 26 years, he brings a little something different to the table with the podcast. But um, anyway, Lloyd, welcome back. Yes, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's good to have you back. All right, well, we're going to start with a couple of questions that I used in one of the roundtables. So, Lloyd, what is a struggle or two or whatever that you think men face today, and, and how would men overcome that struggle? Yeah, this, this, is, uh, this is really a big one here because we're, we're seeing now, especially in this country, um, the emasculation of men. And it actually started when I was a kid even. I, uh, when I was younger watching shows, they would always make the man seem dumb or, or something. And it didn't dawn on me until I was older and got some wisdom um, and discernment, had a discerning spirit. I see how they're trying to usurp the authority of men. They're emasculating them and almost telling us we have no value. Our thoughts don't matter, our ideas and that. And I think that's a really big problem. And I don't, women might feel inferior or, or, or this and that, but they're going about it the wrong way. And I think that is, that is the big problem, taking away our manhood. Okay. Um, if you were able to, if we were able to silence the world for <clears throat> maybe say for a few minutes, can you think of anything that men in general might say? If they knew that they could get a, the world quiet and they were listening, absolutely. We we would say, leave us alone. Let us do what we have to do. You know, we're never going to tell you to stop being a woman. Don't tell us to stop being a man. Very important. Now I know I took that from Rocky Balboa, but that's important. Let us do what we got to do. You could give advice in that, but don't bully us. Okay, don't bully us and pin problems from years, decades, centuries past on us now. Okay, let us let us do what we have to do as men. Very important. As you look back over your experiences in Christian churches over the years, either here or elsewhere, do you think that Christian churches today are doing an effective job of reaching men? Well, yes and no. The family unit, how it's built, you know, we we are together. Men and women come together, have a family and children. Um, but it still just seems that they're not, they want to put the onus on us that we're in charge of the family and this and that and, and, the, and hold us responsible for everything. And then at the same time, you know, whip up some tears and cry when everything goes wrong and then blame us. You know, this, this, this is not fair. Everybody's responsible for their own actions, men, women, and children, when they come to the age of accountability. Now, children that come to the age of accountability. We all are responsible for our own choices and actions. And sometimes I think, sometimes I know what's going on, as I said earlier, that it, it's put too much on the man. So, yeah, churches do do a good job. However, it 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 could be much better. It could be much better in that of just... Having men's groups, having men time together, you know, men need other men to spin off of and talk to. Our minds work differently than women. Our minds work differently than children as well. As the scripture says, when you're a child, you think as a child, you act as a child. When you become older, all things 
childish things pass away, behold, all things become new. So men need other men to talk to and fellowship with. And uh, I think churches, some have it, but a lot of them could do much better in that area. I think they crave that. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put those questions aside. I just I I kind of ambushed uh, Lloyd as he sat down at the table here today with these questions, and I brought Lloyd back for casual conversation today because I really do want to bring an aspect to law enforcement officers who may be listening. That I I mean I did four years in law enforcement, but 26 years as a deputy where he was a deputy, vastly completely different worlds. I know Lloyd very well. Um, I've known Lloyd for quite a few years now. So what I do want to do, ask you about first, before we launch into the law enforcement side is, it is such an ironic, so you can't see Lloyd sitting here. He is a bodybuilder. There's nothing about him that would say, this is the kind of man who could be in an abusive relationship. But you you are one of those ones in that female side of the 50%, where spouse on spouse abuse, or partner on partner abuse Yes. Statistically, right now, if 50% is initiated by the female, 50% is initiated by the male. Right. You are on the business end of female-initiated yes. Yes, violence in your marriage. So can you touch on – do you mind touching on that a little bit? Yeah, and I think I, I, think I did on, on our other – You did very briefly. Did I? Very, okay. very briefly. You mentioned it. But this, this is not something – if a law enforcement officer is in a relationship where his wife is beating on him – I mean, in your opinion, how many of them are going to go and say something about it? Not many. Not many. And we worry, too, because we don't want to be looked at as weak. We don't want to call it in. And on some occasions, my neighbors called it in. It got bad. And they came and asked me to press charges. And I said, no. Looking back in hindsight, that was a mistake. But because it gave her the boldness to keep going because she knew that I was maybe afraid of losing my pension, too. I couldn't obviously... And I wouldn't hit her back, but even just to hold her sometimes and try to run out of the house, I didn't want to lose my pension and all of this. And she would say things like that. So it's tough. And when you have little kids, obviously it's tougher. Now, I, in hindsight, I should have left. I had the kids. I stayed. I stuck it out. But um, no, I don't think they would say anything. Very few would. How long were you in that relationship? 20 years. Yeah. And was she like what was that what was it that you saw in her was was she verbally was she explosive was she physically violent was she like what what was kind of was she like well now i i see she was bipolar for sure now that i can learn she never got held for it she would be nice you know and then all of a sudden just explode and at the littlest thing start wailing on me for no reason well for a reason of i don't know i drank her iced tea or something or i spent ten dollars at the gas station and then i mean it was a physical attack then hours later she would say like you want to go get pizza let's go get pizza i'm like what the heck so i didn't understand it that was in my 20s at that time maybe early 30s like a jekyll and hyde like a jekyll and hyde exactly great analogy yeah it was like a jekyll and hyde and you know, so then after a while, you got to walk on eggshells. You got to walk on eggshells because you don't want to disrupt, you know, and I definitely want my kids to see that. And I knew if I was removed from the situation, she probably would have put her anger on the children. So in essence, I took the beatings for them. And they mm-hmm. understand that now, which is which is very important because my son, he's 30 now. He just left her house. He was living with her for the past five years. And from 20 on, when I left, he was about 20. He, she was beating the sh- crap out of him. So 
there you have it. So I actually, in hindsight, though, I did well because I shielded them. But, you know, there's really no right or wrong answer there for that. So it was physical. And it-, it was physical, mental, verbal, everything. And yeah. was she like that throughout the tenure of your marriage? Or was it something that got, did it get progressively worse? Or, like, did you notice any shifts in in that behavior? When we dated, it was a little of that, and I and I ran, and then she promised and begged and all this, and and we got and she got got pregnant with my son. That that was you know. Then I felt obligated. We got married. She was nine months pregnant. If that tells you everything, called a shotgun wedding. Mm-hmm. But you know, it it got a little better. We went to counseling and that, and then a couple of years. He was just a few years old, and it resurfaced again. And it took a few years, and then she promised and begged and went to counseling. Then my daughter was born, and then it resurfaced again. And then from there, it never went away. And it was already too late. I had the two kids, so maybe it was a sinister plan. I don't know. I'll always thank God for my children. I love them so much. They're my life. They're my heart. But then it resurfaced, and then that's that's how it that that's how it ended. And it's and it stayed and it there stayed after that way for one. a decade and a half. And you know, this is an odd pattern I've noticed in all the men I've helped. There, I'll, I'll ask him and wait. And when they describe where the biggest shift took place, it is after the second child. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that means, but when they say, "I no longer," it's like somebody threw a switch, and I no longer knew who she was. Suddenly, mm-hmm. I'm like, "How many kids did you have at that point?" And they're like, "We've just had our second. And I was like, "Well, that's, that's odd right. because guys say this all the time." Yeah, that's that's. There's a hint after the first, and it, yeah. then it goes off the rails. Yeah. After the second, so very I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, but so you've been divorced now from. Yeah, almost ten years now. Yeah. And and remarried and yes, married a very vastly different personality. Oh yes. Oh yes. Someone who enjoys being a wife enjoys being a mother. Absolutely. So, with your law enforcement background, twenty six years, sheriff's deputy. What are some of the the internal struggle? Like, think back when you were younger, because there's going to be younger guys listening to this. The things, because probably the things you struggled with in the first five years of your job are probably somewhat different than the things you struggled in the last five years of your job. I'm guessing as your different, experience yes. expanded and your maturity developed. Like, what is it like to travel 26 years through? And you were in a very active sheriff's oh, yeah. department. I mean, it's... My department was the second largest next to L.A. County only in uh, California. So when I started in 88, it was it was nice. We were respected. It was it was uh, a whole different world. Five years into it, go to the you know early mid-90s, it started to change there. Cops weren't as respected as much. And then you fast forward ahead late 90s, early 2000s, it really started to get bad. And I did a lot of my time in, in corrections. I was a corrections deputy because there was a lot of overtime there. That's where yeah. I made a lot of money, praise God, because nobody wanted to work it. <laughs> Very tough being with maximum security men inside. You know, when you hold somebody against their will, it's tough. So then mid 2000s of course the cameras came out and everything so we were i mean everything was just recorded and it was i mean we couldn't police at all and then of course we come to today we see and then we've come full circle to the defund the police movement which we never thought we'd hear those three words defund the police that's when we know people are just out of their mind you need law and order from 88 to 2014 it just 
apples and oranges. Yeah, from the commanders to the inmates to the judges to the attorneys, it it seemed to get worse and worse and worse as far as pro-criminal, pro-inmate, and anti-law enforcement, anti-cop. And that's just very disheartening. But that's that's what we're hoping we have a revival in and we change that. But that was that was my journey there. Which is not going to attract a lot of people to law no, enforcement. No, it's not. And well, not the people no, with sense. No, and they're taking pensions away and they're making it like a regular job. You know, I'm hearing now New York wants to pass a law that uh, it's a misdemeanor now to an assault an officer instead of a felony. That they're making it a misdemeanor. What? Why in the world would you do that? Oh, good lord! It, yeah, this is getting a little crazy. So just step out and beat a cop up. Yeah, just for the heck of it. It's a misdemeanor. Yeah. What's What's that? So yeah, we have to be aware of what's happening. That journey, you know. I wish we could turn the clocks back, but we can't. But right now, there's really no incentive unless it's just in your heart and you want to do that and try to help people. But I would say hope is on the way. I believe. I believe there's going to be a change. There's going to be a a shift. The pendulum's going to swing back to law and order. I really, I really feel that. That's unfortunately we live. I mean, in the area where we live now, cops are just part of the community. The sheriffs right. are just part of the community. We're in Mayberry. We, yeah. we are a little bit. They're yeah. just, they're just regular people that right. that blend in with our yeah. community and care. Not like the movie Escape from New York with Kurt Russell back in the eighties. Yes. Nobody's seen that. That's almost what New York has become now. <laughs> like that, and that was a fantasy sci-fi movie, and now it's almost reality. Yeah. Um, so as you uh, and, and you shared briefly in your uh, the one where I, we your first episode, I guess it will wind up being the previous episode to this um, about how you hit bottom and it found yourself struggling uh, with depression, yeah. suicide thoughts, mm-hmm. things like that, really in the bottom. Yeah. And that was, if I remember right, was that about five years before you retired? No, just a couple. Just a couple years before couple you retired. Couple years, yeah. Maybe even a year and a half, somewhere between that area, year and a half, two years before okay. I was ready to retire. Yeah. So let's let's start there. I want to work back a little bit. So you're in that you're in that pit. Yes. You are a very seasoned senior officer. Yep. You are close to retiring. Mm-hmm. Life has handed you quite a quite a mixed bowl with your marriage collapsed, which that was inevitable. Yeah, I knew that was coming. You've moved out of the house, you've got an apartment, and your your life is in turmoil, to say the least. Plus, you work in a very high anxiety position. Correct. So you're, you never move out of a state of hypervigilance, basically. You are continually high on. alert. Yeah. My head's you're, on a swivel. Yeah. You're, current, yeah. you're constantly jacked. Yep. Which is what takes down... The majority of law enforcement officers over time. It does. Because yeah. it traumatizes the brain and the nervous yeah. system so badly. Sure. So when you are in that pit, because there's going to be LEOs that are sitting in this boat, and I'm hoping God carries this to them. So you're you're laying there. You've hit the point of suicidal thoughts. Like what's going through your head in that kind of moment? Well, in my career, I've lost two good friends to self-inflicted gunshot wounds too. Um, and that affected me a lot. And, you know, I was always wondering why, you know, it would happen. And I didn't know that until I went through it myself. And that those two, the Lord brought to my attention to remember, they didn't get help. They didn't talk about it. They didn't cry out. We didn't even know 
we just we just found them. So I knew I had to get help. That was a thing. I said I can't. I have to. I have to try something before I make a permanent decision on a temporary problem. Because I kept thinking of my kids, you know, mm-hmm. and how it would kill them and my mom and everything. So you know, a lot of things came up. So that's when I. That's what's going through my head. That battle. And somehow, with the Lord's will, I was going to work in this state and still able to function, counting in, fighting inmates and taking them to court. And still, it was crazy because my mind was so gone. It was just outstanding how the Lord somehow got me through. I, I look back now, I can't even no, I can't. imagine. I just want to crawl in the bed with the covers over my head. I was putting on the badge and going and being in charge. So anyway, I got the hell. I checked myself in, and that's that was the battle of the mind. That's what was going through my head. So you're just a couple years from retirement, correct? Yeah, Were you starting to wonder, am I going to make it over yeah. the line? Yeah, I said I might not make it, which is hard. Twenty four years into it, yeah, twenty four I mean, change. Yeah, you've traveled a long way. Mm-hmm. Get right to the end. Yep, and think this is the longest part of the journey. Yep, and it was. That last two years, year and a half, felt like another 20. Did you ever have anybody around you, like other men who were like that positive influence? Or were you devoid of that guys who would breathe into your life and say, dude, there's something wrong. We need to get this figured out. I'm concerned about you. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple in my carpool and a couple guys in my unit that did. And eventually... They they were the ones that put me over the top. They said, "If you don't do something, I'm 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 going to do it. I'm 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 going upstairs and talking to the command." So I said, "Okay, I was going to do it anyway. I was going to go check myself in and get and get help." And the and it was a it was a two two guys that are, that I still know now, very good friends of mine. We fellowship all the time. So they were the ones that kind of put me over. Said, "You're scaring the shit out of me. Yeah, you're scaring me." And then that's when it really said, that means I can see through it. I thought I was mm-hmm. faking it really well. This went on for about a month. Like, what do you think for was scaring them? Is it, My, could they see you were suicidal? They, they probably saw it. They probably saw the, they're like, you always look like you just lost your, your dog. I said, yes. I said, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Nah. So, so they finally convinced me, which I knew all along and I did it. And when I came back to roll call, those two greeted me with big hugs and everybody applauded me. They didn't know what was going on except those two, but I was I was sent back to roll call with cheers and it really it really uplifted me. You know, they just thought most of them thought I was medic, you know, physically. They didn't know the mental part. So that was that was huge. And so did, was there like when you went into that clinic or that hospital, whatever mm-hmm. it was, the hospital versus when you came out, was it a was it a pretty dramatic difference? Oh god, yes. It was the first day, the doc, the one I was telling you about in the last podcast, I, I told him, you know, I is, I'm not going to make it. I told him, I said, I'm, this is just my last chance. He said, well, hold on. He gave the first dose of medicine he gave me affected me so powerfully. I guess maybe because I've been clean all my life. Yeah. No drink, no drugs or nothing. It was more than 50%. I was like, Wow. So I called the doc on the side. I'm like, doc, I said, I, I said, I got to tell you, and they knew my, you know, that I was a sheriff and all that. So I was kind of a little isolated from the other guys in the group and had my own area. But I said, just give me 
a lifetime supply of that that stuff and I'll be on my way. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, it, it doesn't work that way. He said, I'm glad it's affecting you like this, but we have a lot of, it doesn't work that way. So I had to stay for the other three days. Okay. But that's the, that's when I knew there was hope. Okay. So 20 you were- minutes into that first dose, I said, wow, this may, maybe I can get better. And it started to, and it, that's when the recovery process started. And so how long were you, you were in this hospital for three four days, day, three days, three days. Yeah. Maybe four. I can't remember now. And then you were gone from your and post. Then I was gone from my post for another probably two to three weeks. I want to say I was put on a different duty to be evaluated by the, the sheriff's office, psychologist and all that. Cause they wanted to make sure I was fit for duty and, uh, Everything worked out. Okay. And were you doing anything else in the meantime while you were being evaluated by the – like were you going – were you doing counseling oh, yes. or anything oh, like that? Sure. Going Absolutely. Back? Every week I had a session with the psychiatrist, yeah. Then he tweaked my meds and all of that and – oh, yeah. It was It was a lot. Did you start to understand why you were in that dark place a little bit? Yeah. And the way – and it was really fascinating the way he explained it to me where my particular – problem was the brain, the way he said was um, there's serotonin that's released. It's a feel-good yeah. type endorphin. Everybody has it. The brain releases it. Well, my brain, uh, as soon as it released it, it sucked it back in. So something malfunctioned there from the trauma and it sucked, it, as soon as it, it sucked the serotonin back in, that was a, one of the big problems. So he gave me the medicine to inhibit my brain from sucking it back in when it was released. So when it was released, this medicine stopped the brain from sucking it back in. So it went to the proper place. Fascinating advancement in medicine. You know, I learned that the brain is an organ like the heart, like anything else, and it can malfunction and it can be corrected. Just like you take blood pressure medicine or heart or liver or this or that. So we have to understand the brain is an organ and it can malfunction and it's okay not to be okay. That and you didn't powerful. get fired? No, I didn't get fired. Was that, I mean, how many guys in your career had you seen do what you did? Not 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 the suicidal thing, but mm-hmm. feeling like that, but leave and go to get help with depression or something. Yeah. Was that fairly regular or was that rare? Uh, no, that was regular. More for drugs and alcohol. More guys needed to get help for drugs and alcohol, and a lot of them never got better, or they decided to keep drinking, and then they got fired, or continue to do dope, then they got fired. The ones that were medical, some ended very violently, uh, but some did make it. But that's you know that's why they gave us the pension and a, and a decent salary and the benefits because of that, and you know that's why it's it's a high stress job. And I go back to now where they're trying to take that away, which is unfortunate mm-hmm. because you need some light at the end of the tunnel. And that's what kept me going that last year and a half, too, knowing that that's coming, that I'm going to have some nice financial support for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. As your, as your body is physically, your emotions are physically. Emotions phys- and mental. Yeah. I'll never <clears throat> be the same. Even before my breakdown, before the depression, I... I I don't think I'd be like a normal person. Like I'm always looking over my shoulder at a restaurant. I've always got to sit with my back to the wall. I got to see who's coming in, who's coming out. My head's always on a swivel. I'm always scenario driven, you know, so we're, we're never the same, you know, we're never the same. So you, you, that's the tail end of your career. Right. What are, 
like what are some of the what are some of the things you liked about your job? Oh. What were some of the stuff that you enjoyed yeah. in being? I don't want to just focus on things that yeah. brought you down, but what lit you up a little bit yeah. being a deputy? Even from the academy, the camaraderie is second to none, like the military. You find a brotherhood there. You cut up with your friends, roll call. It's fantastic. You know, you go to battle together. Um, then you go out, you know, and, and chill out at night and have a burger and a beer or something. And and when you help people, when you really help people, you know, and you prevent a crime, a forcible felony from happening or, you know, just praying with an inmate maybe that's going to court, that's facing a life sentence and you could pray with them. I mean, it's it, it comes full circle. You get to help people on every level of life. Anything that they're going through, you, you, you're involved with. So between that and the camaraderie and, you know, just the football pools and the fantasy football and the fun with lieutenants and captains, because you could cut up with them when it's time for that because they're part of it. You know, yeah. it's just it's just second to none. And I still do miss that. I don't miss the job, but I miss going to roll call and fellowshipping and, and, and you know, cutting it up and doing all that, you know. So, yeah, there's a lot of good perks to the job. And there's a lot of people in society that still do love cops. Don't believe the media. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe the politicians that everybody hates cops. That's not true. That is not true. You guys are loved and supported, even though it might not seem like it. I just want to say that. Yes. So that that was some stuff you enjoyed. And then, like, what are some some struggles you faced in the early part of your tenure as a deputy, because you're young, you said you started 19, at 19. Just turned 19. That is yeah. that is young, and so if there were gonna there were things that you perceived as obstacles. Oh yeah. In that mm-hmm. early manhood. Yes. That later you could have just shrugged your shoulders and said, right. "Of no concern to me whatsoever." But for the young officer that's sitting out there, can you remember any obstacles you faced as that late teenager, early twenties, trying to fill? A big man's boots. Oh yeah, a big roll. Yep, I could have a gun, but I couldn't go buy a beer. <laughs> I could, you know, I had a gun, so they would make fun of me all the time. Oh, the you're a rookie, you're a rookie. You're gonna get fired. You're not gonna make it. We had a year probation. When you get hired, you have a year where they can fire you for anything. It's called probationary period as an officer. So you have to make that year, and then you're golden. But they would say things like, "You snot, go have your mama wipe your nose." Snot those punk. They did because these are guys in their thirties and forties. You know, you know, mama's boy. You know, you you ain't gonna make it. You're gonna get fired. Go have your mama blow your nose. <laughs> Stuff like that. And they would have like you find diapers in your locker, <laughs> diapers and stuff. A little pacifier, stuff like that. So um, that probably went on till I was in my early 20s okay you know, so but, several years but then as a big hiring process happened they needed people so a lot of more younger guys were coming so we started to become almost the majority oh. <laughs> the young guys so that 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 dynamic shifted and then we we're making fun of the old guys saying it's a young man's world yo fart mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was pretty cool there that was funny and of course you don't have much seniority when you first get hired so you you're put with you know in shitholes all the time so yeah. that was tough so now I'm just young. I'm with maximum security, sometimes death row inmates. De- oh, it was like, what the heck am I doing? You really start to think about your career choice. You're like, what the heck did I do? What am I doing here? <laughs> you, know, we're, you know, working with death row guys and guys that are 
30 years armed carjacking, sec- armed sexual battery, home invasion. These are all 30, 40, 50 year crimes. They bat an eye and just cut your throat. You know, and I'm in my 20s, you know, watching these guys. I'm like, what the heck? So those are some of the some of the hard trials in the beginning. How did that not harden you up oh, or make you cynical did. about everything? Yeah, you try not to be judgmental, you know, but you, you, ha- you know, you're supposed to do your job. You take the oath and all that. And, you know, but there's just some guys, they just they just beg you for an ass kicking. They just don't stop. And you got to call in the cavalry. And go in and take care of business. Nothing personal, but you know that it's not going to get resolved unless there's physical force. That's all they know. And they absolutely will not stop till you put them down. Sad. Yeah. So that, that hardened me up too, you know. And then how was your personal life? Like I know a lot of, like you said, it, it being in law enforcement, you inevitably tend to move in the direction of... Uh, cynicism of just people in general. Yeah. Like, because you're, you li- you're in a position where the only people that contact you are people either in desperate need, they're in danger of being hurt. Right. So like eventually for you to have downtime, you as a law enforcement, you almost have to like just shut the whole world off Yeah. because yeah. you can't separate and just be loyal. Nope. So in your personal life, how, like, how did that, how did you, if you did stay remotely emotionally healthy, how did you do that as a, as a sheriff's deputy, like in your off time, like how, I mean, obviously you were married. Yeah. I got married right after, you know, maybe a year and two years after I was a sheriff. So, so getting kicked around and yelled at by your wife was, (laughs) that was your free time. That was my free time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Everything. So you almost go back to work so you can, you can (laughs) hit back. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, no, but how did you, like, how do you, that's, that's not an easy thing to balance. It's because I know you now and I know how much you invest into other men's lives and boys' lives and, mm-hmm. and you invest in people in your community quite heavily and you have since I've known you. So how did you get, how did you manage your personal life to where you didn't just become cynical and cold and hate people? Well, you never, you, you always go back and forth with that though. You do have times where you like that. But you got to catch it because you don't want to stay in that mold. Now, some guys do stay in that mold and they become, you know, just terrible. So you got to catch that. You know, I was fortunate enough to live by the water. I love the beach. I just hung out. I ran on the beach, did a lot of training. The ocean water just does something for me. I'm an avid uh, weightlifter. You know, I got into a lot of boxing, the heavy bag, uh, CrossFit, all kinds of different workouts, all kinds of styles. And I love, you know, cars. So I bought myself a Mustang. I got a, a 5.0 GT Mustang. I love to just cruise around on that. So they, they, there's a lot of outlets you can find. You have to find what you love, you know, and do some of that or else you will you will fall into that. But, but it's something you have to catch because we all do get that cynical type judgmental anger, you know, but we can't let it fester. We can't let it fester. We have to see the good. We have to see the good too. But that's just a couple of the things that – Football, I'm a big football junkie, so I, you know, I'd go to games, watch sports, stuff like that. So there was quite a, quite a bit of outlets I had. I, I know that law enforcement officers don't tend to have the most solid track record in marriage and anymore. I don't know that that's any different than the rest of the population. That's worse, yeah. Is it worse? Oh, yeah. Like, what did you, like, just in, in your tenure, 
over your 26 years, what did you see kind of as the biggest issues or struggles that law enforcement officers, what are the issues in marriage with? Hmm. Yeah. It's bringing the job home is the biggest one. It's hard to get, you know, when you, you know, sometimes there's situations where you have to be the judge, the jury and the executioner in a split second, you know, and you might have to take somebody's life or have a shootout or, you know, I mean, that's tough and you bring it home or, you know, that's a, the highest example, but there's all kinds of examples. So it's hard to, to, it's a job where you're not, you know, going to work people like you or love you and that because you're dealing with the criminal aspect most of the time so you have that weight on you and you bring it home i think that's the biggest thing bringing it home yeah to your family well and you and i think only now i think only now the social sciences are starting to understand the impact of sustained hypervigilance it is so entirely it can be so destructive to the emotions and nervous system yeah. That and and if you do not operate in that world, yep. and a lot of my things in the past have been states of hyper sustained hypervigilance. Sure. And I'm old enough now that if I if it, anybody tries to start that with wanting me to go back into that realm, I almost immediately notice a physical toll on me because I'm old enough now to not just write it out. Right. Did you find your wife empathetic to the fact that you were now? Would you say that that is? She didn't care. No, she just wanted what she wanted. It was I, I got no support at home. None. Would you say that maybe law enforcement guys do they tend to attract the wrong girls? Maybe a little bit. A possibility, you know, to each his own, you know. But they, I don't think the women really know what they're getting into, or men that are married to police women this is you know it's yeah. pretty relevant now i don't think they really know the seriousness of to what they're getting into until it's too late or or they see it through the marriage yeah i'm thinking of a field where premarital counseling for an extended period sure. could be greatly applied yeah and probably reduce the stress load of because most of them are on i didn't know till after my breakdown and i had my my depression anxiety that 40 percent of uh, law enforcement through the country are on some kind of medication for anxiety, depression, or, or whatsoever, hypertension, whatever it is. So not that I feel good about that, but it made me feel like well, no, I'm not alone. And sure. now the number, I believe, is almost 50%. Might be even more by now. Well, it just screams what they're dealing with that there's a, there is a physical cost yeah, that is severe. Is. There is. And so that's why I just, I look at, even if I don't, if I think you're a pompous ass of a cop, Right. I'm still not going to give you a hard time. That's why when because people, I don't want to be in your shoes. Exactly. That's the thing. I got people tell me, even just recently, and this has been. I can't believe they pay. You know, you got a pension and we don't. And I said, well, um, they're hiring. They're hiring. Oh, you see their eyes. Yeah, they're hiring. Go get it. Mm-hmm. Why do you deserve more? Look what I went through. Okay. Look, I'm not bagging groceries at Kroger, which there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But you don't think I deserve what I have? They're hiring. Go get it for yourself. Go put yourself because you're scared chicken shit to do what I did. That's why. Take some cojones to do that. And I survived. That's the only reason I'm getting paid because I survived. 
That's yeah. the only reason because I'm here. How many of my guys aren't getting it? Mm-hmm. Okay. How long were you in the correctional system? Oh, a long time. Like most of your M- most of the career. Whew. Yeah. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. That is a yeah. gig, man. That is yeah. twenty plus years. Yeah. Yeah. You're dealing with the worst of the worst <laughs> every day. Wow, I even I didn't know that about you after all these years. Yeah. A lot of money to be made, a lot of overtime. <laughs> Praise God, all glory to the Lord. I get to enjoy it now because my pension is decent because of the overtime, but you had to go through the fire to get it. A lot of my guys didn't. They just did their eight hours, which is fine, and they're still okay. But in our situation, the more we, the more we made, the more our pension would be. Sure. So I was looking for that for the future, and thank God I have that now because there's no way I would fit in society now. There's no way I would be a wait. I, I, I'd be fired the first day for anything I did. I'd be fired. I'd grab somebody by the throat. What's wrong with your steak? Anything wrong now? <laughs> Joking them out. Yeah, it wouldn't go well. But I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah. Yeah. So what about the young, younger officers? I go back because you have experience to lend and reach back with. So if you've got a younger officer, let's say he's he's been on the force two years, mm-hmm. he's really starting to question whether or not he made the right choice. Mm-hmm. Like, it, was this stupid? Was this something I shouldn't have done? Is there anything you could, I mean, like, if you're in that boat as an officer, is there anything you can think of that might be some things to consider? Yeah, well, he's got to decide that for his or herself, too. That's the soul-searching moment, if you like what you do. I would say, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. You get your seniority. You're going to get a good pension. You're going to have a good retirement. Um, most most departments do. Like I said, I don't know how it's changing now. But if there's not that at the end and it's like a normal job, then you really have to do some soul searching there and see, is this what I want to do? Okay. Risk my life for no extra reward. There's no, there's no reward for the risk, mm-hmm. you see. So... That would be my advice to them. Really sit down and have a heart-to-heart with their people, with their selves, with their God, and see what they want to do. But um, have it to do over, I would do it again. Obviously, my personal life, would I would have definitely, I would definitely do it again, for sure, for the friendships. I would go from 19 to 26, you know, my 26 years, everything I would have done again, for sure. That's how... Along with the negative, that's how positive it is too for me. The memories that I have with my friends and stuff, and and the and the relationships that I forged, and of course my pension. Now I would have done it again, yeah, for sure. Well, can you think of anything else that might be a word for law enforcement officer? You don't have to have it, but yeah, of course. No, I could talk all day about this. I I, I will tell you to forge forward, keep going. When you put that badge on, guys and ladies, you are in control. You're in charge. Remember that. When we put the badge on, we're in charge. And if you like that feeling and you do it humbly and respectfully, I think you're on the right track. I think you're on the right track. And you're proud to wear it and you don't prostitute the badge. I think you're fine because it is something that is very special to me. I have my retirement badge in my wallet right now. It says retired and all that, and I'm very proud of that, what I did and I accomplished. And people see, and when I open my wallet or something, they see it, they give me respect. Just like an army man or something, we say thank you for your service. It's something you're called to do, and I thank you, and we are very proud of you. 
Well, Lloyd, thank you for coming back. Of course. I do appreciate it. Yeah. Well, this will give a little glimpse of something. I'll have Lloyd back again, and we'll come up with a, a different set of, of questions or something. But I wanted to put something together just a little bit because so, there's a whole bunch of law enforcement officers out there. And I don't want them to feel alone. So. No, I hope I help them, and I hope my, my words are, are encouraging. And um, everybody who's listening, God bless and take care. All right. I will catch you on the next one.